Um, so one thing that uh, I suppose the project's all about, and you probably, as, as uh, Nath has just said, like community is one thing we want to build here. And um, I sort of shared with Sondi some stuff that's happened in my life in the last few years. And uh, I was living down in Logan in Brisbane, um, in Woodridge of all places. I don't know if any of you know where Woodridge is. It was pretty, uh, it was a bit of a rougher area. And um, I was living in a complex and... Uh, the complex was very rough. Everyone in the complex, I reckon, had done some kind of time in jail at some stage in their life. They just, they just were that kind of people, you know. And uh, I was probably the only person that didn't have a tattoo of Bart Simpson or something, you know. So it was one of those things. But these are neighbours of mine. I got to know uh, a next door neighbour of mine um, one night because I, I was at KFC one night and there was a blackout and God just told me to buy my neighbour KFC. It was literally that simple, and I refused and then I decided, you know what, I'm gonna do it anyway and rocked up with a bucket of chicken and 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 knocked on this door of this old guy's house of his unit next door to me and that actually opened up an amazing opportunity to, just to get to know this guy because he was like, Who are you? Why have you brought me chicken? You know, so and um as a result we, we ended up being really good mates. This guy was in his fifties and he opened up and he had an incredible story and I won't go into that now, but through that Small moment, I realized that one thing all humans love doing is eating. So, um, and, you know, I also love to eat, as you can tell. Anyway, so the point is, um, what we're hoping to do is that, you know, one time of the year that everyone loves to eat more than they should is Christmas, right? And um, what we're hoping to do with the project is do a stack of Christmas parties, maybe Christmas barbecues, whatever you feel called to. Um, what happened was in my first year in this complex, I just uh, I remember saying to my housemate, all these people, I don't know any of my neighbours. I mean, I know some. I want to get to know them all. Let's put on a Christmas party. And um, God just sort of stirred that up in my heart. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do something. And I just decided at that stage, I want to do it really well. I don't want to do a half, you know, cut, Christmas party. If it's going to be, if it's going to be a party, let's do it really well and let's not, you know, be that classic, I don't know, kind of Ned Flanders Christian that people think of like, you know, leftover bread and old bread and cheap sausages and stuff like that. You know what I mean? So I, I kind of said to my housemates, so what can we do? And we both decided, because there's a lot of, um, islanders and stuff in my condo, we decided that, uh, we put on a spit roast and invite all the neighbors. Um, and, uh, it was just incredible just how God opened the doors up with that because I couldn't find anywhere to hire a spit roast right up until a week before Christmas. Everything was booked out. And then, uh, I was sharing with a, a lady at my work, this lady, so un, the lady that you just not expect to own a spit roast. You know what I mean? Like I, I said to her, Oh yeah, I want to put on this Christmas party for my neighbors and, you know, I just really feel I want to bless my neighbours. I want to get to know my neighbours. And she's like, and I said, I can't get a spit roast. We're just going to do a barbecue and we'll just get good steak, you know. She goes, oh, I have a spit roast. And I'm like, what? And so we got this spit roast and just went in. I just decided with my housemate, we said, let's just do this. And over a period of a couple of months before Christmas, we'd just been buying. We'd go to the shop and every time we bought, you know, groceries, we'd buy an extra thing, a packet of chips or a soft drink. So it wasn't going to cost us a fortune at the end of the year. And um, so we had this huge amount of food and we had a spit roast and we put that on out in the carport and we just invited all the neighbours. And uh, Christmas Eve, we fed like 90 people, uh, rocked up and um, people just came as they were, you know, like they were like, what's this all about? Just come and eat. And uh, it was just incredible the blessing that, that poured out on this complex because um, 
you know, all these people, they were all just sort of sitting around and they just came as they were, you know, some with beers in hand, some just, you know, whatever. And it was just like, yeah, just come and enjoy it. And the most amazing thing from that moment of just building community was everyone was there celebrating Christmas and they'd all go, as, why are you, why are you doing this? And it was just like, cause this is what Christmas is all about, Jesus. And he gave and he, you know, it's what I live for. And, and it, the conversations that came out of it was incredible. But the purpose was just to bless my neighbors. That was the whole purpose. And it was amazing to see how that transformed the complex in itself. Cause all of a sudden everyone knew each other. Cause they were like, Oh, where do you live? Oh, I'm at 14 or I'm at, you know, 11 or whatever. And, um, and over the next few months, it was incredible, just the blessing that I, I mean, I would, wasn't doing it for the blessing of return, but, you know, this lady came, uh, one of the most amazing stories was this, this lady came up to us near the end of this day, Christmas Eve, and we had so much food left over, it was ridiculous, we just bought too much. And um, she comes up, she goes, you wouldn't have any food for us tomorrow, like any leftover food, would you? And I said, yeah, I've got like a whole ham in the fridge and all this. And she's like, because my husband, he's been out of work, we've got nothing in the fridge for Christmas tomorrow. And we went, well, we'll fill it. So my housemate and I just went and filled their whole fridge. And they just were just, this lady was just bawling and, who are you? And you got to understand, I used to have dreadlocks back then. So I look like a homeless bum. So she probably thought what was going on. But, you know, like, um, but it was amazing because uh, God just really used that opportunity. And, that, and that, a couple of days after Christmas, she came over to my house with a TV antenna, like a full-size TV antenna to put on your roof, just underarm. And I'm like, she goes, hey, I just noticed you don't have a TV antenna. And I'm like, yeah, I've got those stupid little rabbit ear ones. She goes, we have a spare one. Have our TV antenna. It was like the weirdest thing ever. And then, and then another neighbor came up and said, I noticed you've only got a single sink in your, in your, in your kitchen. I'm a plumber. I'll put a double in for you. I just want to give back. And I'm like, what? And he came and spent eight hours knocking out brickwork, putting in, goes, we just want to say thank you. And what it did was it just built this community. And so, this year, I suppose the, uh, the thing is, if you're interested in this, is putting on a Christmas party for your street. It's as simple as that. Just deciding right now to start going, my street, I don't even know my neighbours. Jesus said to love your neighbour as yourself. We sometimes forget the simplest basic thing. Um, and you just be blown away when you get to know your neighbours, how much you can just, like, just be in their world and just build relationship. And there's no better time than Christmas because everyone wants in. You know, everyone wants to party and, you know, have a good time. So what we're going to do is uh, over the next few weeks just, I don't know, talk a bit more about these Christmas parties and set some dates um, and just say you can just invite your neighbours and just say, come along. But really it comes down to you individually. If your Christmas party is not any good because the food's bad, it's probably because you didn't do it well. You know, like it's sort of one, it kind of reflects on you and your faith. And that was the biggest issue for me because it was like if we put on a cheap, it's going to look, like, my God's cheap. You know what I mean? Like, he's, he doesn't really, you know? And so that was a big thing for us. And the most amazing thing is that God blessed that. I mean, even we went to, like, shopping centers and said, hey, we want to bless our, street, our, our complex. And they're like, what? Because they're blown away by it. Generosity blows people away. And they're like, yeah, we'll give you a cost price and all this sort of stuff. And so that's, I suppose, what the vision is. And um, if you want to get involved and maybe you're going, yeah, I want to meet my neighbors. And maybe this Christmas we can open up the, the street party at our house. It's just not a big thing, you know. It doesn't have to be a big heaps of music and you don't have to be the craziest entertainer. It wasn't like that at all. It was literally just here's some food, come and hang out, celebrate Christmas, bit of Christmas music. And the impact it's still having today on that complex, I rock up down there in Brizzy now and 
still the neighbors, Aaron, how you going? You know, and it's just amazing how a little bit of love can just speak massive volume. So uh, if you want to be part of that, um, maybe even come and chat to me after the service. If you're like, yep, want to run in one in that street, what do we do? Um, and we'll talk about this over the next few weeks. The reason we thought we'd just start talking about it now is because it can be expensive and Christmas is expensive. So start thinking now, maybe when you're shopping, going, I'm going to put aside something for my neighbours because I want to be a really big blessing at Christmas time. And, uh, you know, and who knows what could happen through your local communities where you're living through something so simple like a Christmas party. So that's great. I think I'll hand back over to Sondi. Oh, good morning from me. I'm Peter. I'm, uh, last week I couldn't even tell you who I was, but uh, this week I'm Peter and uh, one of the leaders here. Hey, um, we're in the middle of a bit of a series on, uh, on community uh, and I always love to throw in, if I see any stuff uh, in the media and culture about community, I always love to throw it in. So I'm going to show you a quick like, 25 second clip from uh, the ABC News on Friday night. Is anyone here like, watching the AFL? Yeah, so there'll be a time to repent later for those people, but... But I'm going to show you a clip about uh, the AFL uh, Grand Final. Uh, this is Friday night, obviously, on the eve of it. Um, and uh, this is a... Uh, are there any Collingwood supporters? Oh, one. Yeah. Surprising uh, that they're at church today, isn't it, really? Anyway, I'll, uh, I'll just show you this uh, clip. This is from... Seriously, if you blink, you'll miss it. But this is from uh, Friday night's ABC News about Mick Malthouse, who uh, has basically been affiliated with AFL for uh, about the last 28 years, I think it is. And uh, yesterday was his last game as coach for uh, Collingwood. And I don't think he's... I don't follow AFL, but as far as I understand, he's not going to another team. Is that right? Yeah, he's, he's done. He's done. So here we go. Check this out. Mick Malthouse understands community. Here we go. The match will be Mick Malthouse's last after 28 years as a coach, but he insists his team won't be distracted. I preach and have done from year dot, whether it be as a player or as a coach, it's not about the individual, it's about the team. There you go. Mick introduces my sermon today. Thank you, Mick. All right. Interesting, he says, I preach. Ever since he started on preaching that it's not about the individual, it's about the team. And that's absolutely the truth with uh, Christianity. It's absolutely the truth with this church and with all of God's church is it's not ultimately mostly about the individual. It's about the team. All right. And we kind of need to get that into our our heads maybe a little bit. Today, uh, you might say that I'm uh, putting myself uh, on the altar as a sacrificial lamb, which could well be the case. Because uh, what I'm going to talk about today is probably one of the more controversial parts in, uh, in churches. Uh, I'm going to be talking about baptism, okay? Um, I mentioned this last week. In uh, Christianity, you have uh, open-handed and closed-handed issues, all right? The open-handed issues are the issues that Christians everywhere can differ on but still be Christians, all right? And typically speaking, anything that's in the open hand are things that we can differ on at a conviction level because we think the Bible says one thing and another Christian thinks it says another. We can differ on those but not divide on those, all right? It's really, really dumb to actually divide on open-handed issues, all right? On the other hand, if someone walks in the back of the church here and says that Jesus died on the cross but he didn't die for your sins, that's in the closed hand for us, all right? We will divide with you if you come in or if anyone comes in and actually says that because if you think that Jesus didn't die for sins on the cross, uh, you're not a Christian, you're something else, all right? 
and lots of people make up their own religions, all right? We're just trying to do our best job at, uh, at following the Bible, but that's in the closed hand. And there's a whole bunch of things that sit in the closed hand. Baptism, we firmly believe, sits in the open hand, okay? So what that means today is if I actually present something that you disagree with, which I'm sure happens almost every week, all right? Let's just get that over with. If I present something that you disagree with, um, and you disagree with the view that we're taking in the church here on baptism, we don't want you to divide with us, all right? We don't want you to storm out the back door and say, uh, this is heretical and it's terrible and the quicker we can burn these people at the stake, the better, all right? We don't want to do that. Apart from the fact that that would really hurt, we don't want to do that, okay? So please hear from me, it's in the open hand. If you differ with us, that's cool. Also hear from me that today's not going to be an ins and outs message about baptism, all right? We could go for probably weeks and maybe months going through all the scriptures and critiquing everyone else's view. My main goal today is to put forward a positive case for what we're going to do, all right? So don't expect me to stand up here and give a thousand critiques of everyone else's view of baptism. I'm just going to give you our view the direction we're going to go and why we think this is what the Bible says about why we should head in this direction with baptism. Is that cool? And you're free to disagree with it, all right? And if you want to come and talk to us afterwards, that's cool. Disagreements can be a really handy thing because they force people to think, all right? And they force people to talk about things. When disagreements in terms of truth become a problem is when the issue becomes the most important thing rather than the truth that actually sits behind it. All right, so my job today, to be honest, I feel, is to help you to exalt, and that's E-X-U-L-T, which is enjoy and treasure the truth behind it. And we'll tell you what the, uh, the form and the function of the baptism is that we're going to do. But that's probably about a quarter of the message and three quarters is the truth behind it. All good? And I think we can all, it doesn't matter what perspective you come from in terms of baptism, we can all exalt in, it, in uh, the truth behind baptism. So... Who here has been to a wedding? Cool, all right? Especially if you're married, it'd be cool if you've been to your own, all right? But everyone's been to a wedding. And I'll tell you something that happens almost without fail in weddings. is when you're actually sitting there and the bride and the groom are saying their vows, most of the time single people are sitting there and they're thinking, I wonder if there'll ever be someone someday where I will say that to. And they're in their head, they're thinking the vows and they're thinking about themselves with regard to the vows. The married people are sitting there and they're probably thinking, I remember when I said that, all right? I remember when I said that. I wonder how I'm going now. Maybe I... And it becomes almost this kind of reflective moment where even though we're caught up in the romance of a couple getting married, there's this reflective moment where you're actually putting yourself in the position of the bride or the groom up there and reflecting yourself. And I think there's an opportunity for you today um, to think about baptism in that kind of context. If you've been baptised before, you can think about it in the context that you're sitting in a church watching a couple exchange vows. You can think back to the day that you got baptised and you can think, how's my vow going? How's my promise to God going? Uh, if, you, if you haven't been baptised and you haven't made a formal vow to God, a formal promise to God, a formal declaration, and we'll talk about what that is in a minute, you can sit there and, and, and think about whether it might be the right time for you to do that. And if you're not a Christian, 
baptism would be a really cool thing for you to do after you join yourself to Christ by faith. And we'll talk about that. So uh, let's get into it. We've done the marriage bit. Let me go to uh, what probably is one of the clearer definitions biblically of what baptism is. All right? Baptism is a little bit of a... Um, I always reckon that your relationship with God's like holding a piece of soap. You know, when you think you've got it and you're holding it really tight, it's just, you're just about to lose it, all right? And when you don't think you've got it, you've probably got it firmer than when you think you've got it, all right? And in some sense, baptism biblically, I think, I'll give, there'll be a few of my opinions along the way, so you can write these off if you want, but I think it's, it's, uh, there's some parts of it that are not incredibly clear. It's assumed that it happens, um, but there's not that many scriptures that are actually theological teaching on what baptism is. All right, This is one of the clearer ones. This is out of 1 Peter 3. You can read this one with me. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and, form- and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities and powers, having been subjected to him. Now, what I will be doing today, I'll tell you what I won't be doing. Let's start there. I will not be speaking on 19 and 20, all right? Because that's like way above my theological pay grade, okay? And in fact, I did a little bit of reading on this and some of your heaviest hitters in terms of theology differ on that one about what Jesus is doing, preaching to spirits and all that sort of stuff. So I'm just going to leave that chunk out, all right? And I can point you in the right direction if you want to make your head spin for a few weeks and you can go and read all the stuff about that. Probably the best... Now, one of the better interpretations I've read is uh, one, one commentator says what Jesus, what was, what's really happening there is when Noah was preaching to people while he was building the ark, he was preaching Jesus and preaching Jesus in, a, in advance of Jesus coming, I guess would be the way to put it. But uh, it's a very uncertain one, so we'll just leave that one alone. What I do want to do straight up, though, is just have a look at a bit of a summary of the first, uh, the first verse there, uh, verse 18 of uh, chapter 3 there. Basically, what Peter's saying is people are cut off from God. Every day, we go through the day, we get up in the mornings, and we think, what is the problem with my day? Well, the problem with my day today, my fundamental number one problem is my child's not doing what I've asked them to do. All right? Or my big problem today is my car's breaking down. That's the main problem with my day. Or I got out of bed, and I bumped my head, and then I kicked my shin, and it seems like everything's going wrong, and that is my number one fundamental problem. Peter's saying your number one fundamental problem is you're separated from God. It's not cancer and it's not being sick. It's not having a headache. It's not being divorced. Your number one fundamental problem is separation from God. All right? If you don't get that dealt with, everything else is just small-time stuff. The second thing that Peter's uh, saying here in verse 18 is your number one problem is actually created by your disobedience or your sin. So you haven't done what God's asked you to do. This is also the case with Christians, isn't it? Christians feel a separation from God when they sin because that's what sin does, all right? Sin is a hydraulic ram 
that pushes God away from you or maybe pushes you away from God. And you end up in a place where you just... And I hear this quite often from people. They say, oh, I just, I just don't feel very close to God. Well, one of your first questions is going to be, what, what's doing with, with your life in terms of sin and disobedience? Are you being disobedient? It's not always going to be the case, but a lot of the time it's actually going to be the case. I think it was uh, Susanna Wesley who said that uh, sin will keep you from God's word or God's word will keep you from sin. Absolutely true. And Peter knows it. That's your issue, is sin. Number three, what you see out of 1 Peter 3.18 there is God took the initiative and, and took the decisive action to provide a substitute for us. All right. So the, the deal here is that someone who uh, has sinned needs to get whacked for their sin. So God says, I'll provide a substitute who can get whacked instead of you. Number four, the substitution was once for all. I remember reading some time ago that over the typical Passover time um, in Israel, it wouldn't be uncommon. I'm, I tried to find some information to corroborate this, but they said it wouldn't be uncommon that you could have 250,000 animals actually get slaughtered in the whole Passover time. Now, you think about that. I mean, the, the temple's not going to smell nice, is it? Let's be honest. It just, it's going to stink, all right? You know, when the Twombe had their abattoir out in the southern side of town, you go past here, <laughs> you wind the windows up, wouldn't you? You just, oh, yeah, the smell of death. It's a beautiful smell. But that's what, that's what would be happening. And uh, so what happens is that's all a faith step People who offered those sacrifices are saying, I trust that one day there will be a sacrifice that will be given that will actually do the job completely. And you actually see that in Hebrews where it says uh, that that, uh, a sacrifice doesn't need to be made continually anymore because the death of Christ was sufficient to sort all of it out. And the last one there, and you can see this in the last part of the verse, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. Obviously God's happy with uh, the sacrifice of his son on the cross if he makes him alive again and resurrects him. So God was really happy with the the sacrifice. So how does baptism actually save? Well, if you actually go back... I should just go back a couple of slides here. You can can see down the bottom here that uh, Peter starts talking about Noah. And he actually says very specifically that baptism corresponds to Noah. Not to save you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to a, a clear conscience. So let me, uh, just got a slide here which I'd like to uh, read to you. How does baptism save? Baptism is a symbolic expression of the heart's appeal to God. Baptism is a calling on God. It's a way of saying to God with our whole body, I trust you to take me into Christ like Noah was taken into the ark and to make Jesus the substitute for my sins and to bring me through these waters of death and judgment into new and everlasting life through the resurrection of uh, Jesus my Lord. So when you think about what Peter's saying here and how he's actually drawing a, a connection between Noah and baptism, what he's actually saying is that the people in Noah's day were being judged. That's what the flood was for, wasn't it? It was to purify the world from sin and it was to judge people who were sinful. So you can see how Peter's actually saying, when you actually get baptised, what you're doing is you're actually getting into the ark of Christ and you're sailing with Christ in the ark of Christ through the judgement on the sin that you've committed.
So the question is uh, for the project, why, do we actually, why are we actually going to be baptising people? We've got a few people who have indicated they want to be baptised. Why are we going to baptise them? Well, this is a pretty good reason, Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, uh, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We do it because Jesus says to do it. So when someone becomes a Christian, they should be baptised. And I'll just put it out there right now. If you've never been baptised in your life and you're a Christian, you need to get baptised. Simple. It's, it's an obedience thing. That's what you do. All right? And it actually should happen uh, pretty quickly after you become a Christian. Some people uh, talk about the fact that baptism, you know, you, just, you want to take people through a course and then, you know, make sure that they're going to be a solid Christian before we baptise you. Well, then it becomes a sign of discipleship, not a sign of salvation, doesn't it? And it was never meant to be a sign of discipleship. It was meant to be a sign of salvation. So uh, you should just get... If you haven't been baptised and uh, you're a Christian, in a sense, and I don't mean to put a heavy on it, but you're kind of disobedient because that's what Jesus says to do, you get baptised. So the question is, how are we actually going to do it? And this is, uh, this is one of the areas where it gets uh, a little bit controversial. Some people... Um, this is another open-handed issue, right? Some people think uh, you sprinkle people, all right? Some people think you immerse them. Now, I don't think it anywhere... I haven't been able to find anywhere in the Bible where it says you must sprinkle or you must immerse, all right? And I actually think if you're in the middle of sub-Saharan Africa and all you've got is a cup of water and you're just going to dunk it on someone's head, right? I don't see God up there going, <gasps> What are you doing? All right, you evil person. Like, I'd, If it was that much of an issue to God, I think there would have been something really clear in the Bible about that. In the same way, if we're dunking someone, you're killing them. You know, God's going to be all shocked and horrified about what's happening, right? God's not, I don't think he's going to be like that. If it needed to be that clear, there would have been something really clear saying, when you baptise, dunk or sprinkle, all right? What's interesting about... The word baptise is the word baptise actually means immerse or dip, all right? So probably that would be the direction that you're going to go. But at the end of the day, I think it's in, in the open hand, all right? So if, you, if you're kind of a, a sprinkler person, all right, you can sprinkle. That's cool, all right? But the direction we're going to go is probably we're going to go the dunk, all right? That's what we're going to go. Because I think it has some uh, connection to uh, theology that you actually see uh, in the Bible. The one thing we will not be doing is, uh, I actually read something about the Orthodox Church uh, baptise their babies and, and they dunk their babies. And I'm kind of not keen to go to jail at this point in time because child services will be into this church before you know it. Because that's pretty uncool, all right, I think. But uh, they think it's good and that's cool for them, but we will not be doing that. So how will we do it? Well, how we do it, I think it's a bit like, uh, in some ways it's a bit like marriage. You know when, for those who've been married, what you actually do is you sit down and you work out how is your ceremony going to go? How are you going to plan it? How are you going to, what sort of music are you going to have? Now, there's no rules about wedding planning, but you do plan a wedding based on what you want it to mean, don't you? So, and I think in the same way, you do a baptism in the way that you actually want it to mean. So let me, uh, another passage that's quite interesting on baptism is uh, actually Romans chapter 6, all right? 
Follow with me as I read it. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul's just told everyone how amazing grace is and some dudes have obviously come out or Paul's trying to cut them off at the past before they do come out and he's expecting someone to come out and just say, man, if you get more grace when you sin, let's just get into the sin because then we get more grace. All right? He's going, no, no, you don't get it and this is why you don't get it. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. It's generally true in the New Testament that when um, the writers in the New Testament talk about baptism and they don't tell you what kind of baptism it is, it's mostly water baptism, all right? Almost exclusively water baptism. So it would, uh, it would, it would stand to reason here that what Paul's actually saying is when you get baptised, you get baptised into the death of Christ. We're going to talk about what that means in a minute. But you get baptised into the death of Christ. So if you've ever seen a baptism where someone um, goes down into the water and then comes out, I think it's a pretty fair representation of the theology that's behind it. Because when someone comes to Christ, they die, which is the going down into the water. And then when they come back up, their life is the life of Christ. And that's what Romans chapter 6 is saying here, um, I think. You also uh, see these uh, truths in uh, Colossians 2.12, having been buried with him in baptism, so going under the water, um, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So you, this uh, student at school a few weeks ago thought it was the funniest thing in the world. You guys know what ghosting is? Yeah. It's like ghosting. Does anyone not know what ghosting is? I'll tell you anyway, just in case you don't. Ghosting is when people walk behind you and you don't know they're there and when you turn around because you feel like someone's following you, they dive into a bush or behind a bush or behind a building or whatever and you just kind of go, hmm, something strange is going on here, right? And it was, this one was quite funny because I kind of ended up laughing at the guy. I thought the guy was really funny, uh, not in the way that he thought he was funny, uh, he thought he was hilarious. He, just, he was just cracking up laughing. And, I'm, and no one else is watching, no one else is laughing, and there's just the two of us. And I'm looking at him, and he's laughing because he thinks he's cool, and I'm laughing because I think it's funny. All right? But in a really dodgy way, ghosting's a bit like baptism and coming to Christ, is we actually somehow, the Bible's quite clear that we die with Christ on the cross to our sin, and then we're raised with his resurrection life. What I did want to do is throw a few scriptures up, and I think this is for everyone. If you've been baptised before, and you've been a Christian for a while, let me ask this question. How is your death, your union in death with Christ going? All right? Your death to sin, your death to self, how's it actually going? There's a uh, scripture in 2 Corinthians uh, 4 verse 12, where Paul specifically says, under pressure of uh, suffering and persecution, he says this, he says, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. And I think what Paul is actually saying there is the amount of life that you produce as a person is proportional to the amount of death that you have to yourself. 
So if you ever, ever have one of those moments where you're sitting down and you're just kind of thinking, I'm no good to anyone, I don't see any life being produced around me, a good question would be to ask yourself, how much am I putting myself to death? Because if you're putting yourself to death a lot, it seems from what Paul's saying that you're going to be producing a lot of life. Let's have a look at a couple of scriptures. 1 Corinthians 6.19 Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Here's an interesting question for you. Do you think that you have the right to choose whether to follow God or not? Because based on that verse, you actually don't have that right anymore. When you come to Christ, he owns you. And so for a Christian to be sitting down and thinking, will I obey God or not, is just a ridiculous situation to be in because you're not your own anymore. You don't own yourself. You've got a good master. He's going to look after you, absolutely. But you're not your own anymore. So you can just see that that would just be something that would be totally out of character for a Christian to do is actually to sit down and think, will I follow God here or not? Because when you die with Christ... You die with him. You're dead. That's it. That's the end of your old self. You just follow Christ now. So it'd be an interesting question for you to kick off meditating on your dying with Jesus. Do you ever spend any time sitting down thinking you have a choice whether to follow God or not? Because you don't. In a weird way, we take that, don't we? But we don't. Theologically, it's just not true. Romans 6, 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be done away, sorry, body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. This is following Paul's previous verses on uh, baptism. That's an interesting question. Do you feel a slave to sin? Because the truth is, probably for most of us, at some point in time, we actually have little moments where uh, we do feel like a slave to sin, don't we? And probably at that moment, that's where our dying to self and our death with Christ has been lost to some degree. 1 John 3 verse 6. No one... Try this one. This, is, this would not be one of the ones you've memorised, all right? No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. That's a really encouraging one. You get up tomorrow and you memorise that one through the day and when you stuff up, you're just going to go, what? <laughs> no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. A bunch of you going, well, that's it. I'm it. Throwing the towel on Christianity. I'm just half the numbers of the project for next week. What, what's John really saying? Because in 1 John 1 verse 9, he actually says, if you do sin, confess your sin to God and, uh, and he'll, he'll cleanse you. So what's John saying? He's saying it is the most ridiculous thought in the world to think that a Christian would sin because they've been changed. They've actually got a new heart. They've put themselves to death and they've been raised with Christ and their life now is totally Christ. So it's an absolutely out of this world, total left field thought to think a Christian would sin. And so John, like a lot of the other New Testament authors, is saying, become what you are. What you are as a Christian, what you are is a person who has a new heart to follow Christ, so then become like it, because you already are that. And if that confuses you, 
It confuses me a bit too, but that's the biblical invitation is don't just stay where you are and don't think that everything is going to be cool without you putting some effort in. God has made you new and you have a new heart, so become like it. Work hard. A couple more. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. See, if you've actually been crucified with Christ and you honestly deeply believe that, you're just going to live differently. Like if you believe that 100% of the time, you would live differently this week, wouldn't you? Because I'm sure that most of you have times where you're just saying, it's not about me, it's about Christ. I'm crucified, uh, my life is gone, and my job is just to live for Christ. But you know we have other moments where it's not like that. Generally speaking, crucified people don't get off the cross. They just don't. They stay up there and they die. So if you've been crucified with Christ, the Christian's job is live for Christ all of the time. Colossians 3, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I got caught out this week thinking about a whole bunch of things to do with this life. And just got to the point about Thursday where I, uh, I just said to Angie, I said, we just need to stop talking about this thing. This is dominating too much of my thinking time because I wasn't doing this. I wasn't setting my mind on things, the things of Christ predominantly. If someone could get into your head and do a download over a week of uh, the sheer tonnage of uh, minutes that you had setting your mind on things of Christ, what, what sort of result would you get? Yeah, maybe you'd do really well some weeks. Maybe you wouldn't do well other weeks. But this is all part of uh, revisiting the vow. Revisit the promise. Revisit what you told God um, you wanted to buy into, that you wanted to die with him and you wanted to live for him. Last one. Uh, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptised into Christ have put on Christ. Yeah, here we go. I'd like to give you visuals for all the visual learners. I'm one of those. All right. I, uh, I had a bit of a look at the Greek, right? On this last phrase here, for as many of you as were baptised into Christ have put on Christ. You know what, it, you know what the Greek says? That, that word put on is like putting on a garment. That's what it is, literally. You put on Christ, you put on a garment. Now, if I had a big enough garment that uh, symbolised Christ, I probably would put a garment on that went from uh, head to toe, wouldn't I? What do you see now? You, you actually, uh, you don't see any of the shirt that's behind my jacket now because I've put on the jacket. You only see the shirt that sticks out where the jacket's not. When you put on Christ, you don't see you anymore, in a sense. Maybe you have the same kind of form. You don't see you. You see Christ because you put him on, like a garment. How do you go with putting on Christ? We're almost done. So let me give you a summary of uh, the project and uh, what we believe about baptism. We believe that baptism is a response of obedience to Christ by someone who's 
repented and, uh, and has faith in Christ. We, uh, we are going to uh, baptise people by uh, full immersion. All right? So you'll, uh, you'll need to wear goggles if you don't like water in your eyes. Just go and sit down, please, bud. Thanks, Jim. Number three, we think uh, baptism is uh, identification with the death and resurrection of Christ in the way it is done. So we're going to dunk people. We're going to, not because the Bible says you must dunk people, but we think that's the way the symbolism works really well. We're going to put them to death in a sense. We're not going to hold them under, literally, because then we'll be in more trouble. All right, but we're going to put them under and then symbolically as they come out of the water, it's Christ, uh, his resurrection, bringing them to life. Uh, number four is we're going to baptise in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit because that's what Jesus said to do and we like to do what he says because we haven't found anyone who says better things than him. And number five, it's uh, quite clear biblically that they're actually, uh, someone will want to maybe prove me wrong and that's cool, you can come and hit me up with uh, any stuff after the uh, message here but it's uh, very, very difficult to actually find an example of baptism in the Bible where there was baptism before faith, all right? before the faith of the individual. So what you've actually got is you've actually got uh, faith first and then baptism. All right, three controversial questions and then uh, I'll tell you a story, a true story, and then we're done. First one's this. If I was infant baptised, should I be baptised again? So... You just need to know my heritage is heritage of, uh, of uh, infant baptism, all right? And I, uh, I actually go around and uh, persuade people that there's a far better case for infant baptism than what a lot of people think. And I actually think that that's, that's the case, all right? Uh, I've got a Presbyterian background and Presbyterians baptise, baptise children, baptise babies. I actually think there's a far better case than what uh, some of you here would think there is, all right? But I would say from my perspective and from my uh, reading of the Bible and uh, from my wife and I's uh, working through it, I just don't, personally, I, I just don't see that there's a compelling biblical case for it, to be honest. That's kind of where I end up. I'm very sympathetic to it, um, but I, I don't think there's a compelling biblical case for it. I think there's a very compelling biblical case for uh, believers' baptism. Okay? So the answer to this question would be that uh, our position at the project here is actually going to be that we would encourage you to get baptised as a believer. Okay? If you've been baptised as a kid, um, I like to be really, really hard line, and I'm not wanting to be really hard line because this is still in the open hand. All right? To be really hard line, we would kind of say that probably the infant baptism thing, we don't see that biblically it counts, if I can put it that way. Um, but it's in the open hand. Okay? So what that means is that if you've been baptised as a child and uh, you don't feel a conviction or a calling from God to be baptised as a believer, we're cool with that. All right? We're not going to put a rule on you and say you must be baptised again because we think it's in the open hand. So we'd love for you to go away and uh, pray about it. I mean, ideally we'd love to baptise as many people um, as want to be baptised. I guess that's really what it comes down to. Um, so go away and pray about it. I can give you lots of stuff to read. I can give you stuff for and against. Um, but we would encourage you to get baptised as a believer because we think that's the uh, predominant biblical uh, meaning of it. Uh, number two, does baptism save you? You might have noticed in 1 Peter 3 that it actually says baptism which corresponds to this saves you. 
But immediately after Peter saying that baptism saves you, Peter says the way that it saves you is because it's an appeal from a good conscience, from a clean conscience. How do you get a clean conscience? Anyone know? Sorry? Yeah, confessing by Christ. Christ brings a clear conscience. All right? So Peter's really saying is, uh, what he's saying is not that baptism, the act itself saves you, but he's actually saying that the faith that brings about a clear conscience, that brings about the act of baptism, saves you. So we don't think baptism saves anyone. Okay? Let me make that really clear. It just doesn't save anyone. And other people do. Um, That's an interesting one. If you had to press me as to whether I think it's in the open hand or the closed hand, um, I'm not going to answer that probably now because it's getting pretty. It's getting close to a closed hand, all right? Because there's people out there who have been baptised who think that they're saved, um, and they don't have faith in Christ. So I just don't see that. They they just don't complete the the full uh, package, I guess. Last uh, question: When should a believing child be baptised? Um, a believing child, in, in our view, uh, in my view, a believing child should be baptised when the parents are convinced um, that the child has saving faith and not just intellectual faith. Um, our oldest boy got baptised when he was five um, and uh, there were some very clear marks that there was, uh, and my dad and I baptised him as a believer, um, but there were some very clear marks that he'd come to faith himself personally and it wasn't just him parroting off the stuff that we taught him there was some very insightful stuff that had uh, been shared that made us uh, think that there was actually some real God work that had actually happened inside of his heart so there's no real limit on when a child could be baptized Um, and people one of the arguments is oh you baptize them as a child anything could happen well you baptize someone at 20 and anything can happen too can't it you know, they might walk away in 10 years' time. You say, well, you baptise a kid at five, they might walk away in 10 years. You just go, yeah, well, that works for anyone. So give me a good argument why you shouldn't baptise a kid who's, who's got a, a faith going in God. All right. I'm going to tell you this story. This is a cool story. We are going to... Um, have a time uh, in probably uh, maybe a couple of weeks for uh, where people are going to be baptised. Okay, so I guess for those who are part of the project here, um, we would love it if uh, anyone else wanted to be baptised too. And I guess that's part of this message is is not so that the three or four that have already indicated they want to get baptised will get baptised, but maybe there might be others of you who have yeah, you know, you go away and you pray about it and you just come out and you just think, eh, I think maybe even though I've been infant baptised, God's putting it on my heart to be believer baptised. And we'll baptise you too, okay? And we're going to do it in-house, all right? It's another one of the questions I haven't uh, covered, but one of the questions people ask is who should baptise you? Well, probably a leader from your church and maybe the person who brought you to faith. be a good place to start. Anyway, let me show you this. Uh, this clip goes for about 30 seconds and then I'll uh, tell you the rest of the story. This uh, clip is of a, uh, a young boy called uh, Victor Waters. Victor Waters uh, lived, uh, I think, in uh, Minneapolis. Victor Waters actually had cancer. Uh, and on the 7th of September this year, he, uh, he actually died at 14 years of age from the cancer that he had. Um, I'll just uh, 
play you a little a 30 second clip of uh, Victor Waters uh, at his baptismal um, service. What's your name? Victor. And mom and dad, Mike and Deb. <clears throat> and Victor, tell us the story of the king. I was born in a non-Christian family, and I don't think we ever went to church. And I never thought to myself, where would I go if I died? Um, God changed me probably differently from most people. He changed me through cancer. I was diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma in December of 2006. Okay, so this is Victor. Let me tell you a little bit about Victor's story. At, um, at nine years of age, uh, Victor was uh, in hospital uh, with his cancer. And uh, there was a family from uh, Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis who uh, had a daughter who had exactly the same cancer in exactly the same part in the pelvis. And uh, she happened to be at exactly the same hospital as Victor. And uh, so the family obviously were going in and out uh, of hospital visiting Victor, um, sorry, not visiting Victor, v visiting their daughter quite regularly, and uh, obviously they, they saw Victor in his room. Now, the interesting thing about Victor is Victor was a uh, ward of the state. Victor was a uh, foster child because his own parents made some bad decisions and couldn't look after him. And what these people noticed when they were going in and out of the hospital is virtually no one came and visited Victor. So here you've got this nine-year-old kid who's in hospital fighting for his life and fighting cancer on his own. And in fact, the mum says, uh, the mum of the family from Bethlehem Baptist Church, Deb Waters, recalled two years ago, I looked in and there he was in the dark, hugging two stuffed animals to his chest, watching Tom and Jerry on TV all by himself. So this is Victor. He's in there on his own. His own foster family couldn't look after him. So you know what the Waters did? The Waters made some investigations and they thought, I wonder if we can get Victor as our foster kid. And so they made some investigations and whoop-de-doo. They got the approval to have Victor as their foster kid. So here's a family. I think they've got seven children in their family already. One of them's already got cancer. She's in a ward getting treated for the same cancer as this other kid. So let's have another kid that's got cancer in our family and let's embrace him. So Victor became their foster child. And then they went the next step. They wanted him to be their son. So you know what they did? They adopted Victor. And so here's this kid whose own parents couldn't look after him. His foster parents couldn't look after him. He's all alone. He's an individual in a hospital hugging stuffed toys in the middle of a cancer battle. And the community of the church actually comes and starts to get around Victor. And see, this is, this is part of the reason why baptism is a community project and, and this is the point of me uh, telling this story to you here, is, is to help you to see that. Because what actually happened uh, was uh, Victor spoke with his mother one day, um, his, his, new, his adopted mother, and she told him all about Jesus. And, and on that day, he gave his life to Jesus. And uh, what followed from that was Victor actually getting baptised in the church. And I guess this really illustrates uh, what... Uh, Baptism is all about for us um, at the project here. 
I'm just going to read for you the rest of Victor's testimony that he gave at his baptism. God changed me probably a little differently from most people. He changed me through cancer. I was diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma in December of 2006. They found out I had cancer because I had a seizure. The tumour in my hip got so big that it had shut down some of my organs. I was moved into foster care because both of my parents were making bad decisions. I went to, to church sometimes with my new foster parents, but I didn't care about Jesus or God at that time. In the hospital, I would always think to myself that it was by my strength that I would get through this. Well... By God's grace, I met the Waters family, which was just the start of everything. God decided that he wanted to move me to a Christian family. The Waters were really wanting to adopt me, which was perfect timing, because at that time, my foster parents were not able to take care of me anymore. So I became a Waters. Living with the Waters for a couple of months, my mum one day told me about Christ and how he died for me. That same day, I knelt down on our kneeler and accepted Christ. I believe that God gave me cancer for a reason and that reason was to meet the waters and become a Christian so that I can be with him forever. You don't hear too many people talk like that, do you? God gave me cancer so that I could meet the waters and become a Christian and be with him. So I'm getting baptised because I truly believe that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die on the cross for all of our sins and to save us from eternal fire. I am trusting that God is sovereign over everything, including cancer, and that he has a wonderful plan laid ahead for my life, and he will never let Satan take me from his hands. Isn't that beautiful? This kid on his own hugging stuffed toys, all of a sudden it's not just in a family community, but when he gets baptised, he's in a family in a spiritual sense as well. And there's people around him, and you can actually, if you want to... uh, Once this uh, PDF gets posted to the net, you can actually go to the YouTube video. It goes for about 12 minutes. It'd probably be handy to have a tissue or two with you, right? Because it's pretty sad. Because you see this kid and and, and he talks a little bit, but you see him at home in a hospital bed, worshipping Christ, uh, struggling to breathe sometimes, but in all of it, just absolutely exalting Christ. And, And you've got this kid who, for him, cancer in a sense, I mean, it almost sounds like he's saying cancer saved him. Amazing, amazing stuff. And that's the way that we would see uh, baptism somewhat in the project, is that baptism is not just getting dunked somewhere in a pool, but actually being baptised into a community of people around you who love you and support you and will mentor you, disciple you, bless you. It's, it's someone being in community, biblical community. I might pray and we'll finish there. God, you are far more gracious to us than we realise. You know, for me and I'm sure for some others here that often during the days when things don't go the way that we want them to go, we think that someone's against us. It could well be that you're for us in things not going well. I thank you for what you've done uh, in this uh, child's life, in Victor's life, Lord. I thank you for what you've done in all of our lives. Pray that you'd help us, God, to, uh, to die well to self and to live in you and to put you on. Put you on well. God, I pray just uh, for anyone here today who might be uh, contemplating being baptised, I pray that you just uh, 
be really close to them and communicate with them and Holy Spirit just make it really clear to them what you're calling them to do and uh, I pray Lord that uh, you'd just help us in uh, two or three weeks time to just have a cracking celebration a cracking ceremony of people who want to join themselves to you and your death and resurrection Amen Alright we, uh, we might leave it there for today so uh, there's uh, plenty of morning tea out there. If you want to come and talk about anything, you can come and talk about it. You can talk to any of the leadership team. If um, you want to disagree with us, come and disagree with us. Come and disagree with me. The leadership knew what I was going to be saying, so we're kind of all on the same page. But uh, just be warned that we're going to be encouraging you, even in the disagreement, to exalt in Christ. All right? Thanks, guys. Nice. Uh, excellent, eh? I, um...